outcast, period. Period. That's when it changed. That was the first time that people began to take Southern rap seriously. Show feel good. <laughs> hey, player, this peaches coming back at you one more again with a big what's up. Break out your black love and your boons fall as I send it out one more time for East Point, College Park, Decatur, and the Swats. We got that Southern playlisted Cadillac funky music for your trunk, and it's fat like ham bone and tight like net booty. So let me take you deep, straight to the point, cause it ain't nothing but king shit, all day and day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this podcast, we're going to talk about the debut album from Outkast. On April 26, 1994, they released their debut album, Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music. And this album is turning 25 years old this year. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. But yes, this album is turning 25. And it's bugged out for me because I go back with this album. Um what's really really interesting about this album is when you look at the landscape uh things were a lot different in hip-hop if you look at the hip-hop now uh atlanta in a lot of ways is the mecca of hip-hop uh a lot of influence and everything in the sound um you know comes from atlanta a lot of hit records come from atlanta um Atlanta has had a tremendous run in hip hop, but it's like T.I. said in the intro, Outkast and this album, Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music, put not only Atlanta, but the South on the map. Now, don't get me wrong. There were Southern acts in rap. You had the Ghetto Boys in you know, um, Houston. And then you had Luke and two live crew in Miami. Now, nobody was going to confuse two live crew for any type of lyrical MCs because they weren't. But Southern acts were, you know, honestly frowned upon nationally. Um, and they were definitely a regional thing. Um, any southern acts they pretty much stayed in their region and they were popular in their region but as hip-hop began to grow when you look back in 1994 i mean it was the east and it was the west keep in mind that prior to this album coming out on april 26 1994 the chronic had come out doggy style had come out death row was having their run of hip-hop Right. And on the East Coast, you had Tribe had just dropped uh, Midnight Marauders. Wu-Tang had just dropped Enter the 36 Chambers. Those dropped in uh, September of 1993. 
And then the week before Outkast released this album, a little album that you may have heard about from this guy from Queensbridge, this guy named Nas. Yeah, Illmatic came out the week before this album. So there was a balance of power. There was the East, there was the West. South, not so much. But this album virtually blew the doors open for the South. And it made Outkast become a pillar in hip hop. This album was so phenomenal that if they do not make this album, I don't know that the South ever gets quote unquote put on. There's no Southern rappers without Southern playlistic Cadillac music. So we're going to talk about this album. Um, I guess my first introduction with Outkast, man, it goes back to probably the fall of 1993. Uh, I remember coming home uh, from college. I was at South Carolina State University and uh, I bought the tape cassette single, <laughs> the single uh, Players Ball. Uh, now, Players Ball was a song that was released. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was on a Christmas album for LaFace Records. And they changed the words around, but Outkast, these teens had gotten a deal, record deal in Atlanta on LaFace Records. Now, keep in mind, there's no internet. <laughs> there's no streaming service. There's no nothing. So I got the tape because one of my boys who was from Atlanta was like, yo, you need to get that Outkast. He just kept telling me that. Yo, you need to check out that Outkast. You need to get that Outkast. And all they had was a single, and that was Players Ball. And so my first question was, what is an Outkast? Operating under the crooked American system too long. Outkast, pronounced Outkast. Adjective meaning homeless or unaccepted in society. But let's look deeper than that. Are you an Outkast? If you understand and feel the basic principles and fundamental truths contained within this music, you probably are. If you think it's all about pimping hoes and slamming Cadillac doors, you probably a cracker. Or a nigga that think you a cracker. Or maybe just don't understand. An outcast is someone who is not considered to be part of the normal world. He's looked at differently. He's not accepted because of his clothes, his hair, his occupation, his beliefs, or his skin color. Now look at yourself. Are you an outcast? I know I am. As a matter of fact, fuck being anything else. It's only so much time left in this crazy world. Wake up, niggas, and realize what's going on around you. Poisoning of the food and water, tampering of cigarettes, disease engineering, control over your life. Take back your existence or die like a punk. This is Big Rube saying right on to the real and death to the fakers. Peace out. And so... That pretty much describes an outcast. And so after that, you know, I was bumping the tape and then we knew that the album was coming. And that was like I said, that was around November of 1993. The album comes out the following April. And I'll never forget it because when the album came out, I had just gone to Freaknik the week before and I saw outcast perform at Freaknik. So. It was crazy. There was a buzz. I mean, like, it, <laughs> it's kind of hard to put into words, but it was a crazy buzz 
um, around the campus, and there was a, definitely a buzz at Freaknik about Outkast. And I think part of the reason was because, for one, when you listen to players ball, and then when we saw the video, which, by the way, was directed by Puff. Shout out to Puff. Um, what was interesting was was that these dudes could really rap. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge Ghetto Boys fan. Love Scarface. Love Bushwick Bill. Love Willie D. Shout out to them. But this was different, man. I mean, Ghetto Boys, I think, at least for me, they seemed a little bit older. But when I saw Outkast for the first time on a video, they looked like me. I mean, like, they looked like anybody else, any other dude that you would see from the South, you know. Um, And that really appealed to me because... We didn't have anybody in the South that looked like us that was rhyming. And and that's the thing. Like, there was definitely a Southern bias nationally because people just assumed that if you were from the South, particularly up North, let me just, I don't want to say everybody, <laughs> people up North assumed if you were from the South, you were country, you were slow. And when it came to rap, you couldn't rap. And what was interesting was, was that <laughs> if you were from the South, like me, because I'm from South Carolina, if you were from the South, like me, and you liked, you know, Northern rap, you know, your peers might look at you funny because you want to listen to Wu-Tang and they want to listen to Luke. And, you know, they might chastise just, oh, man, you're trying to be from New York. No, it wasn't trying to be from New York. But if you're like me, someone who's tenured in hip hop and you grew up in the South, that's all you knew. I mean, there was no Southern. I started listening to hip hop in like 84, 85. So there was LL. There was Run DMC. There was, you know, Curtis Blow. There was Houdini. There were no Southern acts. And if there were, I never heard of them. (laughs) So... You know, so it wasn't about trying to be from New York. It was just about that's all that we had. But with this group, man, we finally got somebody who was from the South who could rhyme. And then these guys, they looked like they were the same age as me. So I was amped when I first saw the video. And again, keep in mind, in 1994, there's a... I don't even want to say East Coast, West Coast beef because that's just, that's BS. There was a struggle. Um, And what it did was the South basically broke, was a break in the bi-coastal sound that we had. Because you had the East Coast sound, you had the West Coast sound, and then the Southern sound that Outkast produced, which combined a lot of funk, a lot of jazz, and just hip-hop and lyrics. And it was different. It was really, really different. And it stood out and it resonated with people. And so those are my first memories of hearing Outkast. And I remember distinctly, I bought, <coughs> excuse me, I bought the, uh, I bought Illmatic the week before. And I didn't have a lot of money. In fact, I was pretty much a broke college student, just like everybody else in my school. Um, 
But I remember getting some money from my mom that week and going to the ATM and get my little $10 out of the ATM. And um, or maybe it was $20. I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> went right to the Prince of Orange Mall in Orangeburg, South Carolina and went copped out cash CD. I had to get it. Like, and, and again, as I mentioned on pre- previous podcasts, uh, it was important back then that you got the album the first day that it came out. Because if you didn't, there was a chance that you might have to wait to hear it. And coming off of Freaknik, coming off the high of Freaknik, I was ready to hear whatever Outkast had to, to, to deliver it to us. And so I was there. I was ready. So I remember going to the record store and I remember copying it. And I, <laughs> I remember coming back to my room and listening to the album and as much as I loved it, I was like, yo, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I literally had Illmatic in one hand and Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music in the other hand. And they were released two weeks apart. I mean, excuse me, a week apart. And so I'd listen to one, then I'd listen to the other. Then I'd listen to one, then I'd listen to the other. And it was it was really dope. But that's how it was back then. And this album... <sighs> First couple of times I listened to it, I was blown away. I mean, it goes without saying that this is a dope album, but there's so many things that stand out about this album. I mean, we were, again, intrigued because of how they came out and how they looked. But we were also intrigued by the sound. And that was the first thing. The production on this album was incredible. Um, This album was solely produced by Organized Noise. Now, Organized Noise is their crew, Outkast's crew, a self-contained unit of Ray Murray, Sleepy Brown, and Rico Wade. When I tell you this album was funky, I mean, like, it had just about everything in it everything that you would want in an album as far as a sound and phonically how it would come off this album really delivered um and what was interesting was was that back in that time you know it was about bass (laughs) or at least to you know uh kids like myself you know it was about bass but at the same time you had these deep funky ass bass lines and these soulful sounds coming behind it and then you had these two guys rapping their ass off over these beats we had never heard anything like that we were used to the bass and you know luke or you know getting some decent beats and everything some hard-hitting beats from you know uh ghetto boys we weren't used to having such a phonically complete album and then having supreme MCs rhyming over these tracks. But yeah, Organized Noise, man. Incredible production on this album from start to finish. They did it all. And there's so much I can say about them as a team, but that sound really set it off not just for Atlanta 
but it set it off for the South. And it set it off for how, you know, hip hop would be viewed and phonically how it would be accepted. Because trust me, if you didn't have these dope beats, <laughs> it wouldn't matter what Outkast was rhyming over or what they were saying. Because the beats are the things that hook you first, or at least for some, hooks you first, and then, you know, these rhymes. But this production is crazy. I mean, looking back on it, they didn't really have much. I did in my, in my research, you know, they used the TR-808s. Uh, there's a lot of singing. There's a lot of, uh, from what it sounds like, live instruments. Um, they didn't really have much, but they did. But they did a lot of work with what they had. And, you know, they're part of the Dungeon family. And, you know, shout out to, you know, Rico Wade, Sleepy Brown and Ray Murray, man. Those guys are incredible. This was an incredibly put together, self-contained piece of work. And it is by far one of the best Southern hip hop albums and I go as far as to say it's the second best hip hop album of 1994 and the production is one of the reasons why but yeah this this album was crazy front to back uh, I'll get into the tracks in just a second but this album was well received well received uh, critically acclaimed um, this album sold platinum and I think if you ask most Outkast fans, for as great as this album is, it's not their best work, but it is one of their most complete works. And it's still an incredible album. And it's a phenomenal album for 1994. And what was interesting was, was that when this album was released, nobody knew what it was going to do because we hadn't seen or, or heard anything like this. Andre 3000 and Big Boy, great MCs. You had a great production. But again, this was a Southern act trying to make their way through this bi-coastal war in hip-hop, if you will. And fans immediately gravitated to the music. And they immediately gravitated towards Andre and Big Boy. And Andre and Big Boy, <laughs> what's interesting is that... <laughs> If you ask most people, while it's not fair, they will try to say, okay, well, Dre outrhymed Big Boy on this one. A Big Boy outrhymed Dre on this one. I don't never, I, I don't think they were ever really in competition with each other. But they were spitting some lyrics on this album. And it just, it was dope and refreshing to hear it coming from, at least for me, it was dope and refreshing to hear it coming from somebody who looked like me, somebody who probably would have gone to school with me. But Dre and Big Boy, you know, they they they, were, they met at Tri-Cities High School here in Atlanta. And, you know, they never made it to college. But these guys were very well versed in what they were talking about. And again, this album was very well received. Uh, this album got four and a half mics from the source. And we'll talk about that in, in just a few. And we'll kind of look at that a little bit deeper. But great reviews and everything however <laughs> not everybody took to this album case in point uh in 1995 
when the album was up for Best Newcomer at the Source Awards, um, Outkast actually won the award. They won the award. <laughs> they beat, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they beat out Biggie. And um, they won the award, and they go up to accept the award. And, of course, if you're familiar with your hip-hop history, they got booed. And that's when Andre 3000 famously got up at the microphone and said, South got something to say. But it's like this, though. I'm tired of folks, you know what I'm saying? No. Closed-minded folks, you know what I'm saying? It's like we got a demo tape and don't nobody want to hear it, but it's like this, the South got something to say. That's all I got to say. And so I'm sure that was a humbling experience. But again, everybody didn't take to the album, and, and that was a... a prime example i mean here it is you know the source awards was being held in i think it was in harlem at the apollo if i'm not mistaken and you got the east coast you got the west coast and here here it is these two guys from the south win best newcomer they beat out biggie and you know fans are booing and andre said you know the south got something to say and to be honest that was a seminal moment in hip-hop and because the south has been speaking ever since then and those words were so on point. And so here we are 25 years later. And even if you're still in the hip hop, I mean, the South is still having something to say. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll hear from uh, Outcast protege Killer Mike on what his thoughts or what his thoughts were on uh, Outcast getting booed at the Source Awards. And when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll take a look at the tracks and then we'll take a look at whether or not this album should have got four and a half or maybe five mics. Sit tight. We'll be back in just a second. And it finally gave clear cut and incision from New York wannabeism. It was a great thing that they were handled in that way because it finally cut the umbilical cord saying we don't have to impress you. We don't have to be influenced by you in the same creative way. We're going to show you. At that moment, not only galvanized us around outcasts, it galvanized us around the city and being fierce about our own identity and not being patsy or, or second or consumer to anyone. You know, we got on our own hype. So I thank every audience member that booed. Thank you. And just like that, we are back. Once again, it's your boy, 12 Kyle. This is the 12 Kyle podcast. And we're talking about Southern Playalistic Cadillac music. 
25 years later. Now, as I mentioned before the break, we were going to talk about the tracks. This album actually runs about 64 minutes long, so it's a little more than an hour, but it's a very easy and smooth listen. Uh, I can just remember listening to it for the first time, and, and I still, even to this day, when I hear it, I hear different things. And I think that's the measure of a great album is when you hear something different each time that you listen to it. Um, this album is definitely aged very well. Uh, it sounds just as fresh and just as dope as it did back in 1994. Um, now, again, on this album, you had Andre and Big Boy who have, you know, pretty contrasting styles as far as rap, but they are really going at each other as they do on each album. And they're just spitting lyrics, man. And I mean, like this was a, 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 it was a break from what we were used to hearing from the East and the West. Um, and they weren't necessarily conscious rappers. Uh, they weren't gangsters. They weren't pimps, even though there's talk about gangsterism and pimpism and stuff in the album, but it didn't mean that, but they weren't that, but it also didn't mean they were punks either. Like, they repped their city and, you know, they weren't going to back down, but they just gave you just a different kind of lyricism. Um, the album starts off with uh, the intro, Peaches, and I played that at the beginning. Um, I find it interesting, even looking back on it now, that on your debut album, your first introduction to any new listener, the first voice they hear is a woman's voice, <laughs> but... Peaches actually her intro actually plays along with the theme of the uh, of the album and, and it fits very well. Uh, then we go to the next track. Uh, that is my intro to let you know, um, man, this album, I think Big Boy really set the tone on this album, on this song in particular. Um, he let you know really off the beginning, like, hey, we're from the South. We're not slow. We're not playing around. We, 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 we're here to spit. And we're here to tell you about how it is where we come from. And um, I, I was just, I was blown away, man. I mean, like he said, uh, I'd be thinking about the future. Back in the days when we were slaves, I bet we were some cool ass niggas, but now we vultures. And I was just like, man, that's like taking me back because they really came at a different level from what we were used to hearing from, you know, MCs from the South. And um, Dre was a little bit more calmer when it was his turn to rhyme. But nonetheless, man, my intro to let you know the beat was, oh my, that beat was crazy. Um, they sampled uh, Kid Dynamite on that out, on, on that particular song. Um, but yeah, my intro to let you know, uh, if you smoke a dime, then I'll smoke a dime. Uh, I mean, uh, there there's several uh, drug references and smoking weed. And that was kind of the appeal, too, because, you know, not only were they, you know, some Southern spitters, but, you know, they talked about drinking and they talked about smoking, which at that particular time in the 90s was pretty popular. But they did it in a, with their Southern slang and Southern lingo that it was it was cool and it was funky. And, you know, it was just it was different. It was refreshing. It was di very different. And I think people really took to it. Um, the next track. Ain't no thing. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. <laughs> I mean, that makes me laugh just reading it. But ain't no thing. I mean, what can I say, man? 
I love this song, man. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. That the the, the hook. I mean, the, the name of the song is "Ain't No Thing," but we would always say "Ain't No Thing But a Chicken Wing." It's a southern saying, but it was so funny to hear that on wax. Um, and I think it was one of the staples for you know outcasts having these little sayings. Um, you know, they would have like little, these little catchphrases, like ain't no thing but a chicken wing. And then later on, they did the, uh, you know, with, with their other albums, they had little catch sayings as well. Um, but you know, they, on this one, on this track, you know, it's kind of gangster a little bit, but it's still Dre and big boy. And it's still, you know, writing, I mean, writing and spitting rhymes. And the cool thing that I love about that that kind of shines throughout this entire album, especially living here now. I wasn't living here at the time. As I mentioned, I was in college at South Carolina State University, which is three and a half hours away from Atlanta. Um, they do a really, really good job of shouting out their area, their hoods and places where they inhabit in the in, in the city of Atlanta, in and around the city of Atlanta. And now living here and having been living here for now at the time of this recording, 21 years. Uh, there's definitely appreciation for it because, you know, on players ball, they shouted out the underground, which <laughs> the underground ain't what it used to be. But <laughs> back in 94, the underground was popping, you know, but um, but it was uh, and, and also popular hangout for Freaknik uh, party goers, if you will. Um, but it, it was just it, it was refreshing to hear. I mean, it's no different than, you know, an MC from Queens or, the, or Brooklyn shouting out their borough and, and where they hang out in clubs and stuff like that. So and it was also dope when we saw the videos uh, for the for some of their songs that they released, seeing these different parts of Atlanta. And I thought that that really resonated in the city as well. Um, but um, but now they on this track that, you know, this this track's kind of kind of rough. I mean, they, 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 they don't pull any punches on this one. Um, then we have the next song, which is an intro, excuse me, an interlude, um, Welcome to Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> I love this, this, uh, this, this interlude because, uh, it makes it really feel like you're on a plane. And so when you're, when you hear the, them talking about, you know, over here we have Decatur and then over here we have College Park, East Point. I mean, these are all black sections, um, you know, that really rep- represent for, you know, the city and also represent for outcasts as well. So that was always dope to hear. Uh, then the next track, Southern Playlistic. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this was the second single that was released. The first single was Players Ball. Um, man, let me tell you something. This this will always be my joint. Um, the bass line, when the beat comes in, man, it, it's it's dope, man. It's this song is uh, you know it's it's an outcast favorite. I think for a lot of people, um, you know, Big Boy and Dre, you know, they both go back and forth, and um, it's a smooth ass track, man. And anytime <laughs> if you're in a club and this comes on, you gonna move. You you it's not something that you can sit down to. You you not you you're definitely gonna get up and move. Um, the next joint, Call of the Wild. Uh, Call of the Wild was interesting because this was the first time at least for me that i got a chance to hear uh two of the four members of the goody mob uh timo and kujo goody uh, appear on this one um and on this joint man all four of them are talking about you know how crooked you know the american education system is and how the government failed them and how we got to depend on ourselves you know to kind of make it through and um 
I thought it was a really good track, man. Really, really good track. The beat was dope as hell. Um, and uh, I think Outkast really, they did a good job on this track and, and a subsequent track for, you know, introducing their crew because we already had Outkast. We already had the production from the other members of the Dungeon family uh, as far as organized noise. And then we have an introduction here to Goody Mob. And that's really kind of how it was back in the day. Like if you had, uh, you know, someone on your album, it was usually someone from your crew. <laughs> you know, you weren't going to get a lot of, uh, you know, outside help, if you will. Uh, the next track uh, was the aforementioned Players Ball. Um, like I said, it was originally recorded as a Christmas song. Uh, for the faces uh, 1993 holiday album compilation um, there if you listen to the original track there is some Christmas referencing and you do hear the the kind of bells ringing a little bit um, but uh, I mean what can I say man all the players came from far and wide <laughs> that sleepy brown uh, singing on the hook uh, it's dope, man. It's smooth. It's mellow. It's funky. It's outcast. Uh, what, what else can I say? Uh, the next track, uh, Claiming True. Um, another banger. Another banger. Um, this joint goes so hard. Uh, this one's kind of, you know, I, I think just kind of more reality rap a little bit. But uh, this one is a dope banging track. Uh, I always love listening to this one as well. Um, then they have an interlude. <laughs> <laughs> Club donkey ass. Now, Outkast had a couple of interludes on here, but the interludes, I think, really to appreciate this one, you had to have either been to Atlanta strip club or at least heard a few stories about Atlanta strip clubs because this interlude is exactly how it goes down in an Atlanta strip club. <laughs> and I am a living witness. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the next track is Funky Ride. Now, Funky Ride, for me, is a different kind of track because it's a musical interlude, basically. Um, and it's six minutes. And here's the key thing about this song. Andre and Big Boy don't even rap on this song. This is just Sleepy Brown singing. And when I hear this song, <laughs> All I can see is me riding down Peachtree Street here in the city with the windows down, bumping this track. I mean, like, it gives you the vibe of, you know, old school 84 Cutlass riding down Camelton Road, you know, with 15s in the back, you know, sitting on some Vogues. I mean, it's that's Atlanta. I mean, this this Funky Ride is a dope ass song. What kind of threw people for a loop was that Outkast does not rap on this. Like I said, it's more like a musical interlude, and it's a six-minute song. But it also introduced the world of Sleepy Brown and how talented that brother is. So, you know, Organized Noise, you know, they, they produced the hell out of this. I mean, it, it really got a, it really gave them a chance to kind of showcase, uh, you know, Organized Noise as a production team. And in a lot of ways, if I compare it to albums, uh, you know, in the 80s, it's almost like having your DJ, you know, scratch um, on a record and that just be the, the DJ song. This was just a production team song. So it was kind of like that. So I kind of chalked that up as that. Um, 
the next uh, interlude was uh, Flim Flam. Uh, some dude trying to sell <laughs> a gold chain uh, to some white folks that he stole from some white folks in Buckhead. Um, funny, funny interlude. Uh, the next track, probably one of my favorites on the album, uh, introduces the other half of um, Goody Mob, uh, and that would be uh, CeeLo and Big Gip. Uh, and the song is Get Up, Get Out. Uh, they did a video for it as well. Um, I mean, CeeLo starts it off. I don't recall ever graduating at all. Sometimes I feel like just, I'm just a disappointment to y'all. <laughs> and then uh, Dre comes on. He says, they telling me that I should get out and vote. Why? Ain't nobody be, ain't nobody black but crackers. Reg- so why should I register? I'm thinking of better shit to do with my time. Never smell the aroma of diploma, but I write the deep ass rhymes. Um, and that was the thing. Like, you know, <laughs> for a lot of people, for a lot of black people, you know, they were very apathetic about voting. And so when he said that, they telling me that I need to get out and vote. Why? Ain't nobody be ain't nobody black but crackers. You know, why should I register? And a lot of people, you know, my age thought like that. And again, this album is out in 94. Uh, so this was prior to Bill Clinton. This was prior to uh, Barack Obama. This was prior to, you know, George W. Bush. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of apathy in the black community about whether or not we should vote. And, you know, by the time that this album comes out, um, I'm of voting age. Uh, or at least I'm coming up on voting age. Um, so yeah, I'm not, so, you know, a lot of times, and then I was in college, so I'm like, you know, I really wasn't too up on the political scene because I was so involved with my studies, but, um, at football, but you know, that line resonated with me because, you know, a lot of us felt like that. Why should we vote? You know, there's nobody but white folks and, you know, these white folks, they pander to us and then they want us to vote for them and then they get in office and don't do shit for us. Uh, and then when Andre said he never smelled the aroma of a diploma, uh, Dre dropped out of high school. Big boy had great grades, but Dre dropped out of high school. He didn't, he ended up getting his GED, but get up, get out was kind of like the anthem. Really? You know, you got to get up and get out and get something. Don't let the days of your life pass by. You need to get up, get out and get something. Don't spend all your time trying to get high. Um, the next track is an interlude uh one of my favorites man uh true that from big rube i mean it doesn't get any better than big rube it really doesn't that was so dope um and then probably one of the most jamminess songs on the album is the next track crumbling herb uh they sample curtis mayfield on this one man there's only so much time in this crazy world i'm just crumbling herb just crumbling herb Niggas killing niggas, they don't understand. That's the master plan. I'm just crumbling herb. Man, listen. That song is so funky. It is so, so funky. Um, they 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 really outdid themselves on that one. Uh, the next track, Hootie Who. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm trying not to cough, but I'm laughing at the same time. <coughs> excuse me. Hootie Who. Um, <clears throat> at my school really kind of became a rallying call. Uh, like if something was about to pop off, you yell hootie who. <laughs> so 
the meaning of the song in this album really didn't have anything to do with us getting ready to kind of you know fight somebody or something like because usually when we, when somebody yell hooty who that means at least on our campus that meant like somebody's about to fight so anytime i heard my teammates yell hooty who like it was like you had to come running so i always laugh when i say hooty who because like i have to look around because like literally we were kind of ingrained in ourselves like if somebody yell hooty who it's time to fight <laughs> and they have and fighting has nothing to do with this song but i love the song nonetheless um next track is deep deep is okay deep is probably um i don't want to say it's i don't want to say it's misplaced but deep probably would have fit better on at aliens outcast the second album um it just didn't you know it's i'll put it like this i love all the songs it's the least love song that i have (laughs) on here uh, and then the last song is Players Ball. Uh, they had to do it again, the reprise, the remix. Um, and that was it. And that's it, man. That was, those are the tracks. Again, Outkast, they phenomenal album. A phenomenal album, incredible. Uh, this album introduced the world to Andre 3000, or Andre at the time. <laughs> he became 3000 later. And Big Boy. Um and these guys are dope lyricists, man. I mean, they're two of my favorites. Uh, they are two of the coolest people you want to meet. I mean, like, I've probably seen Andre, at least since I've been here in Atlanta, I've probably seen Andre, I don't know, maybe 10 times, maybe Big Boy, maybe eight or nine times. And they've always been like just so cool. And like these guys move around the city. And I've never seen them like with security or anything like that. And they're very approachable, very cool, very laid back. Uh, if you heard the um, Equimini podcast, you know, I told you the story about when I actually sat in on an Equimini session. Uh, and that was funny in and of itself, just being around those two guys. But, um, you know, and they really represent the city well. And this album, uh, not only did it mean a, mean a lot to you know southern uh, and southern MCs, and it, it gave way to southern MCs and southern hip hop, but it just opened up the doors in hip hop to the south uh, because for a long time, you know, the south really was kind of on the outside looking in, and it 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 showed that guys from the south could rhyme, and you know we weren't playing, and and again it represented and they represented uh, guys from the south very well, so it always resonates with me. Um, lastly, uh, one of the controversies, <laughs> if you will, uh, was about the mic rating. Now, this album, one of the things that was big back in the day was, you know, how you got rated by the Source magazine. Uh, the Source magazine was the hip hop Bible. You know, there were no blogs. There were no, there was no internet. Uh, so a lot of times we, you know, bought albums. I know myself in, in particular, bought albums sight unseen unheard based on whatever was said in the source um the source gave this album four and a half mics now big boy said that he felt like outcast should have gotten five mics so the age-old question is is this a four and a half mic album or five mic album uh so what i did was i went back and i read some of the (coughs) excuse me i read the um the actual uh, write-up 
And I'll read some of it to you. It said, the South has always posed a problem for most hip hoppers. No matter what they accomplish, we were hard pressed to give the South its due. Maybe because of the all out ass fest that has become Southern hip hop's defining image is repelling as it's compelling. As a result, we find reasons not to like the South. Uh, it's either Afro centric, like Arrested Development, or it's crisscross. If it ain't crisscross, it's country eating pork chops brothers having fun with big leg women but if you're a victim of urban or rural southern northern schizophrenia then outcast may be the antidote that you seek and it goes on to talk about what was really dope about this album and they gave it four and a half mics were they correct depends on who you ask <laughs> um here's the thing if you say that this is a five mic album, I won't argue with you. If you say this is a four and a half mic album, I won't argue with you. If you say that this is a four mic album, mm, I think that's up for debate. I don't think that's I don't think it's a four mic album. I think it's a four and a half. It's not a five mic album. Um four and a half. And how the source rated it, four meant slamming, definite satisfaction. Five, obviously, was a hip-hop classic. Uh, four and a half means that's, like, superior. Uh, I think it's a four and a half mic. For as dope as Funky Ride is, I probably could do without Funky Ride. And I love Funky Ride. And don't get me wrong, it's not a skip for me. It's something that when, when I've listened to the album... I listened to the album all the way through. There's no skips on this album. But if I'm thinking that it's a classic, what would keep it from being a classic? The fact that Dre and Big Boy don't actually rap on Funky Ride kind of knocks it down a peg for me. And Deep, while it's a very good, a damn good song, now that I've heard ATLians, I probably would have put deep on AT aliens. It's not, it's nothing wrong with this. No knock on the song. I just don't know that it actually fits on this album. It's still a dope ass song though. And you put it on this album. I'm good. I'm cool. So it might be one track too many, but other than that, flawless, flawless. Now, again, if you say this is a five mic album, Hey, you get no, you get no beef from me. If you say it's four and a half, <laughs> we're, we, we agree. If you say it's four, uh, we can agree to disagree. Because <laughs> I think this is a superior album. Phenomenal debut album from Outkast. And this album meant so much and resonates with so many people. And ultimately, it put Outkast on the map. And if you look at Outkast's discography, when you speak and think about Outkast, Again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this isn't even their best work. That's when you come out the gate and you got a four and a half mic and it ain't even your best work. That's saying a lot. This album put Atlanta on the map. It put Outkast on the map and it blew the doors open for the South. And it's like Andre said, the South got something to say. They said it then and 25 years later, they're still saying it. Thanks again for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.